I'm John Dankosky, and this is Steady Habits. We have a special edition during a big week of news at the state capitol. It's a week that saw Governor Ned Lamont fire his health commissioner in the middle of a health crisis. He told reporters, I just had to make a decision. I thought this was a good time to make a change. Renee Coleman-Mitchell is out as commissioner of the State Department of Public Health. Now, last year, the commissioner and the governor seemed to be on very different pages about how to release school data on vaccinations. This came during a debate over religious exemptions for getting those vaccines. Along with this backstory, there was also the commissioner's seemingly diminished role in the coronavirus response as Lamont moved to form a commission of health and business leaders to advise him on reopening chunks of the state economy and also hired the Boston Consulting Group with a $2 million contract to help coordinate the state's response. In the short term, Coleman Mitchell was replaced by Department of Social Services Commissioner Deirdre Gifford, who's going to take on both roles. But what does this mean for the state's effort to combat COVID-19? The Mayor's Capitol Bureau Chief Mark Pazniokas and health reporter Jenna Carlesso joined me to explain what led to this change. A surprise for a couple of reasons. One, it is not seem to be in Ned's DNA makeup, uh, the ability to fire a human being. Um, and in fact, um, that's reinforced by what we know about his relationship with this commissioner, and which was uh, his staff was urging him to fire her in September of last year over an entirely different issue, which was her being at odds with him on the question of transparency in publishing school by school vaccination rates. So that was a close call last fall. Um, and uh, and again, um, Ned Lamont is sort of an easygoing sort, um, who I think shies away from a lot of conflict. And obviously there's no conflict like firing your first agency head as a governor. Yeah, no conflict like firing an agency head. But, but Jenna, I guess I'll ask you the same question. If you're surprised, given the timing of all this, it's not like he's he's firing the, the head of the DEP in the middle of a, a pandemic. He's firing the head of his public health response in the middle of a gigantic pandemic in which we're trying to figure out how to save lives. Does this surprise you? Yeah, it surprised me as well. I mean, um, the commissioner hasn't been sort of front and center for a lot of this pandemic, even back to the beginning. She showed up at a few press conferences, but she's been largely absent. So um, it, now, now she's in the spotlight for sure. And, and it was a surprise. So, so Jenna, take us back to that this earlier uh, time that, that Paz referenced there, where he, the governor, obviously was at odds with his commissioner. Clearly, they weren't seeing eye to eye on how to release information around school vaccines. Maybe you can take us through that part of the story and how you think that led to, to her dismissal. She uh, was came into the position uh, April of 2019 at a time where there was a lot of uh, volatility around this idea of repealing the state's religious exemption to vaccines. And part of the fuel of that uh, debate was this school by school data that was released that showed, you know, the first round was over 100 schools where, um, you know, didn't have the 95% herd immunity for at least the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, which was one of the critical vaccines that people were looking to. Um, You know, right before she came in, Democratic lawmakers started to talk about wanting to do a repeal. Um, That gained a little bit of traction. Uh, There was a public hearing, and she didn't take a position at it. 
And all through the summer of 2019, the lawmakers had called on her to issue an opinion. Um, at the same time, she she came out and, and said she wasn't going to release a second round of school by school data. And that obviously ruffled some feathers. Yes. So, Mark, how unusual is is this to have uh, a commissioner so at odds over something like that that seems like in many ways a policy politics decision um, with the governor? That, that seemed unusual at the time. It obviously uh, caused enough problems between the two of them that they never recovered from. Um, it was unusual for two reasons. One is that, um, uh, yeah, to be to take a public position that was contrary to the governor, um, she got out there first before the governor made clear he wanted the data released. So there's that. Um, and then the, the other aspect here that was odd is her total discomfort with the idea of being a public voice on the issue of public health. And as, as Jenna alluded to, there were legislators who found this very odd. You know, you wanted the voice of the public health commissioner to be out there saying, okay, these are the science reasons, the policy reasons for why we should or we shouldn't allow anything other than non-medical exemptions to require school immunizations. So she seemed to have, again, a discomfort with the public aspect of the public health job. So, so Jenna, now let's move forward past that time into the state's response to the COVID-19 crisis. Is there anything cited by either the Lamont administration or, or anybody else at the Capitol that would point to failures on the commissioner's part in terms of how the state has responded to this coronavirus crisis? There's been criticism over how long it took to get widespread testing uh, up and running in the nursing homes. Um, and certainly, you know, her department was involved in all of that. The, the testing at the nursing homes, of course, is a, is a huge part of this. Nursing homes have accounted for such a large percentage of the overall deaths, not just in Connecticut, but in other places as well. And Jenna, we've been reading that nursing home workers are very concerned about the state's effort at testing so far. Yes. Um, within the last week and a half, the state has been touting that they've begun widespread testing within nursing homes, but uh, several nursing home operators and indeed the head of the uh, Connecticut Association of Healthcare um, Facilities is saying, actually, our, our nursing homes are getting enough test kits for the residents, but not for the workers. So, Paz, what else about this response is perhaps lacking on the, on the state's part? Because in some ways, Connecticut has been seen as doing a better job than other states, a more thoughtful job than other states in terms of the way it's approaching this. But if you look at the raw numbers, Connecticut, uh, along with New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, uh, and Rhode Island, is one of those spots where there's just the highest per capita number of people infected and the highest uh, per capita number of people dying. What can you say about the actual uh, response that has come from the Department of Public Health under her leadership? Well, and it's hard to separate out who is uh, responsible for the successful elements of the state's response and who is to blame for things that have not gone quite right. And, uh, you know, it's clear that Connecticut was fairly aggressive 
in in um, having early closures. Now they have not been complete closures. You know, the definition of what is essential work has been pretty generous. But I think Governor Lamont generally is considered to have been, you know, pretty much out front on listening to um, the epidemiologists, listening to the experts and being um, relatively aggressive about trying to uh, stop the spread of COVID. And he's also been pretty strong in resisting, urging to open prematurely. Um, but going back to the commissioner, it's the things that you don't know, and it's hard for reporters under any circumstance, much less during a pandemic where you don't have physical access to offices. There have been um, suggestions that, that Jenna and I are aware of that there's a bit of dysfunction in this agency, that there's a morale issue. Uh, it's never easy to figure out who has responsibility for that. But the thing that's interesting is that because of the pandemic, the governor's top aides are uh, are having daily interactions with the Department of Public Health. Mm -hmm. So you have the governor's top aides looking into DPH in a, in a regular way that would not normally occur. And, you know, you have to think that that was an element of the governor deciding I'm going to make a change here, that there's, it's time for sort of a fresh view there, whatever uh, Commissioner Coleman Mitchell's strengths and weaknesses were. But there's other pieces to this, too. There's this commission of a number of business people, medical professionals, other outsiders. We now read that the governor has uh, enlisted an outside firm to help with this uh, overall response. I, I guess I'm just wondering if there were too many other voices who the governor was listening to, to actually make it a, a, a viable possibility for this health commissioner to continue through this entire process? Um, there certainly are a lot of uh, voices weighing in. I mean, one thing that that was apparent from even the beginning, though, is, you know, with the, the health department, when they did have someone represented, it wasn't the commissioner uh, very, very often. You had uh, Matthew Carter, the state epidemiologist, front and center, um, Josh Jabal was front and center. So you had other people who were the face of the department, um, you know, even as there were lots of different voices participating. So Paz, what happens next with all of this? I mean, how does the, the state move forward, especially given the, the major crisis we're still facing as we try to reopen the, the economy a bit? You know, what's clear now is the commissioner was not playing a central role so her absence, uh, I don't believe, is, is reason for anybody to think that this is really going to uh, change it in a, in a concrete way. Um, the governor you know, did note that this is uh, uh, with the approach of May 20th and the uh, easing of the restrictions that they're in a different uh, phase. They're, they're listening to different voices. Um, so they're going to they're going to go again slowly. The governor's been clear. His advisory group has been clear that you want to take baby steps and just make sure nothing awful happens, because the problem with this pandemic is if you liberalize too quickly, it takes a couple of weeks to see data that tells you you screwed up. Mm. I, I think, you know, at least in the interviews I've been doing on stories, um, like I talked to Pedro Zayas earlier, he's a spokesman for SEIU 1199, which represents thousands and thousands of nursing home workers in the state. Um, they're 
hopeful, but they're concerned that the DSS commissioner is now going to be doing both roles because, you know, they've had trouble uh, with those, but with both agencies in terms of funding for nursing homes, uh, you know, the getting results from nursing home inspections, getting, you know, access to PPE, et cetera. And now you have one agency head for both of those uh, doing two jobs. I mean, Josh Duvall is the commissioner of administrative services, as well as the chief operating officer, as well as having the informal (laughs) title of being the interagency coordinator. I mean, he's really been the key player there. And, you know, will Deirdre Gifford, the commissioner of social services and the acting commissioner of public health, um, will she be distracted? You know, what we don't know is, well, is there a deputy at social services who for the next month can sort of take that job while Gifford focuses on public health? Um, the governor was lucky in the extent that he had a commissioner available to him who is a medical doctor and also has a master's in public health, as does uh, Deirdre Gifford, because under state law, to be public health commissioner, you've got to either be an MD or you have to have a master's in public health. So you just can't stick anybody over there. <laughs> uh, but again, it's this is the stuff that is maddening to reporters. It's really hard for us to tell behind the scenes. I mean, you over time, you will hear, OK, it's, it's either working or it's not. But short term, I don't know. Mark Pazniokas uh, covers the Capitol for the Connecticut Mirror. Jenna Carlesso covers health and health policy for the Mirror. Thank you both so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks. My pleasure. That's it for the special edition of Steady Habits. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, we'll just do it. You can visit our page, steadyhabits.org, or look for us in all the places you get your podcasts. Of course, let people know about this podcast. You can rate and review it on iTunes. All these things help. Thanks. Our Steady Beats are provided by George Mastrianis and Dave Swanson, and we're recorded at Legend Studios in Avon, Connecticut. Thanks so much to Bruce Potterman and Kyle Constable. I'm John Dankosky, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>